Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. All right, folks, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Welcome and happy Friday. I want to thank you for being here today. Um, I've got about probably, you know, we're scheduled for an hour, but I've got probably no more than about 30 or 40 minutes of prepared content. And and frankly, I'd rather have a conversation than do a presentation. Um, but the idea is to, to provide you folks with some good information that can help you out in your business. Uh, this isn't a sales pitch. Uh, it's not a consulting call, anything like that. We're just here to help you out. A um, little background on me. I've got about 30 years experience in manufacturing and business. I've owned my own brick and mortar business. Uh, so I understand what it's like to manage cash flow to make payroll. And I also know how lonely it can be uh, owning and running a fab shop. Uh, I've consulted with a number of fab shops over 20 years and uh, ran a counter shop for a couple of years. And I really think that it's, it's important. And I believe that every fab shop owner deserves to have a business that makes you money and also allows you time to enjoy it. So that's, that, that's my philosophy, and that's why I'm offering this information. What we're going to do is a uh, quick review um, of the, or actually this webinar is about the January article in the Slippery Rock Gazette. If you haven't read it yet and you want to see it, go to slipperyrockgazette.net, uh, hit the archive uh, button on the upper menu, scroll over to uh, January, and you can pick this one up, plus the uh, previous article in December. Um, what we've got uh, set up is our agenda is I'm going to do a quick review of the article. I'm not going to get into it in depth. Hopefully you've already read it. Um, there are a lot of questions that come up as a result of, of these articles and, and presentations and, and implementations I've done in the past. So I've put together kind of a list of some sort of frequent questions, uh, and I'll go through those. Uh, and again, as we're going through either the article review or going through these other questions, if you need something clarified, please stop me. I'd really rather, again, have a conversation than just do a, a, a presentation. That would be would be really helpful, I think, for everybody to kind of hear from folks other than just me the whole time. And I've got uh, some time at the end, of course, with an hour schedule and only part of that uh, planned. We've got plenty of time to discuss anything you want to bring up. Uh, so that's that's our agenda here for today. All right, um, this is the second in a series of six articles, and the focus of these articles is to give you the tools and techniques that you need to help you free up 20 to 30% of the capacity that you're already paying for. What that means is help you get 20 to 30% more kitchens, more square footage through your plant every day without having to, to hire 20 to 30% more people or buy 20 to 30% more equipment. It's to make better utilization of what you've already got. Um, and I'll, and uh, another side benefit of doing this is you do this and do it well, you can, get, you can set up a fixed predictable template to install lead time, five days, six days, seven days, whatever's appropriate for you. But the idea is that you've got something that's predictable that you can go out and sell and it's short. Uh, and then if you do these things and do them well, then, then one of the things that comes out of putting all these six pieces of the puzzle together is that you're able to predict your P&L for the month. We're about mid-February now. You're using these tools and techniques well. You're able to sit down and look and, and, and determine what is your P&L for February going to look like? And you're able to do that before 
you get to the second month in March when your accountant gives you your P&L or whenever you get that. Uh, I'll give you a good example. I was talking with a fabricator earlier this week. He's doing just that. He sat down and looked at his information last week and realized that even though his quotes were high, his bookings were high, that because of the way the schedule was working out, because of some other factors outside of his control, February was looking really bad. March is great. February is terrible. So he was able to pull his team together, do all hands on deck and, and get some things going so he could make February look better than it would have if he'd have waited till March to look in a rearview mirror and see what he'd done. So that's one of the things I really think is, is important when you're running businesses like this is to have that kind of looking forward capability so you can run the business. I think that's really important. So let's get into basic concepts from the article. Uh, and again, as, I, as you've got any kind of questions or something needs clarification, please, uh, please stop me. We'll talk about it. Uh, one of the key things to bring up is that short lead times are a competitive advantage. And what I mean is, is kind of what I just said a minute ago, where if you've got a good short five-day or six-day or seven-day lead time from template to install, you're able to make one phone call, schedule both dates. You're hitting both dates almost 100% of the time. That's a competitive advantage because if you're not doing that now, you know what the reality looks like without that. If your competitors are doing the not fixed, not definite, not really well hit due dates, uh, and then you can, that's certainly a competitive advantage. You can go to market, you can get more jobs, uh, you, you can get more business and you can put some pressure on your competitors. And that's, that's an important thing for your business, for your business strength. So that's one of the things we talk about in the article. We also talk about since the, you know, the title of the article is, uh, is increase inventory to increase profit. It's a bit of a misnomer. We'll, we'll talk through that here in, in a little bit, but we talk about the fact that low inventory equals short lead time. And that may seem a little strange to some of you. Um, but this comes from something called lean six Sigma. It's a, really robust set of process improvement tools that are used in lots of industries and in, in manufacturing, lots of different businesses. Um, but a core concept out of that um, body of knowledge is that when you've got low inventory and by low, low working process inventory, I mean the number of jobs you've got between template and install, then that means that low inventory will, will keep the time to move a job through the process of steps from template to install to keep that time short. Now, what Lean Six Sigma tries to do is drive that down really, really low. They want to get down to something like a one-piece flow. Uh, and that's not, that doesn't mean necessarily one job between each of your process steps. That means uh, from a pure Lean Six Sigma standpoint, they want you to have just one piece of a job between each process step, which is super low. The problem with that is, is that all processes, all manufacturing processes have got variation. You can't always predict how long it's going to take to make something. And there's, there's practical reasons for that. Now you get to the end of the, the life, your blade's getting dull, your saw or the, or the tools in your CNC. So you got to start slowing down a little bit. You got a miter job that comes in. You got to run things a little bit slower, be a little more precise. Uh, you get a particular uh, stone that comes in that's really hard to cut. So you got to slow the machine down. Then you got the human factor. You know, people don't work at the same pace every day. You may have some folks that, you know, this past Tuesday morning stayed up and watched the Super Bowl and maybe had a little too much fun and they were a little sluggish on Tuesday. All sorts of things happen that cause normal variation, both machines and people and product uh, that'll cause that variation. And because 
you really can't eliminate that variation. You can work hard and you can reduce some of it. And Lean Six Sigma's got a lot of tools for that, but it really is difficult to eliminate that. And that's where I think a lot of folks get hung up with, with some of these process improvement techniques is they want to go whole hog and try to drive variation to zero. And you just can't, it's just not practical. You hit a point of diminishing returns very quickly after you get the low hanging fruit out of the way and start driving down to getting that variation lower and lower, you spend more and more time and money and get less return. And it's, it's not a real good business sense to focus on that obsessively. Um, so what happens with lean is lean wants to go to that one piece flow. That's super, super low work in process. That's a nice, super short lead time from template to install. You could do it in, in two or three days. And I've seen some shops that have got three or four day lead times and not many of them, but there's some out there. Um, but the problem is, is that any variation, any crack splash, any, any crack in a sink cutout or something, those kind of things will kill you when you've got really low inventory because that variation will get you. And in the article, we talked a little bit about how that variation creates bottlenecks. You know, the, the first article, the one from December was about, you know, how to love a bottleneck. And it was all about how chasing bottlenecks is something that managers spend a lot of time doing. As soon as you fix one, another one pops up tough to predict where the next one's going to pop up. You spend all your time chasing this, creates a lot of stress, creates a lot of chaos. And what we talked about in the, in the first article was nailing down that bottleneck, making a strategic decision to, to select your constraint. It is a capacity constraint. It's not a, it's not an analysis that's mathematical. It's a strategic decision. And we talked last time about some, some aspects about how to do that. But when you do that, then that takes that bottleneck issue out of the equation, keeps that from moving around and starts to settle down some of the noise in the business. So once you do that, then, then you've got that strategic decision that's a core element of how you're going to run your business. And then you want to put together, a, establish a buffer of inventory to protect the output of that constraint. And we talked last time about typically in this business, the constraint should should probably be either your last process step, which is install, or maybe finish polish, which is the next to the last. There, there are pluses and minuses for both. I won't get into that now. If you've got questions, you know, give me a holler and we'll talk through that. But in the article, we talked about having about a half a day or a day of inventory in front of the constraint to help protect constraint output. Because if you remember, the constraint, as you do some of the things that, that show up in the article that Actually, that's step three, optimized control. That article came out last week in Slippery Rock Gazette. But as you start driving your bottleneck to the constraint, that ends up being your capacity limiter for the business. Then the mindset needs to be kind of like if, if you owned a hotel. If, that, if you had a room that was vacant last night, you can't go back and book that room. It's, that time's gone. And the same for your constraint. Yeah, you can work overtime, but we're trying to get out of working overtime. We're trying to get more consistency and more control. And so you want to make sure that you protect the constraint from ever losing time. Because if you lose an hour at the constraint, once you've got that set up and running, it's like shutting your plant down for an hour. That's pretty expensive, a big impact financially. So that's what the article talks about. And it talks, you know, kind of walks through those concepts. And those are kind of the, the key things we, we went through there. Um, any questions from any of that before we get into some of the prepared questions that I've got set up? Andy, you guys have been doing this for a while. Have you got any any challenges that you've run into? Any questions that you've got from what you've seen? Uh, yes, we do. Um, not related to anything you've covered thus far, 
but it is related to not scheduling a job for template until all of this information on our checklist is ready and available. That has been our biggest challenge um, over the last two or three months. Yeah, that's something a lot of shops struggle with. And that's one of the key things. We get into that. I think the article that comes out next month talks about them in the scheduling process. Um, it, it is not something that you can turn on and off like you, like a light switch. It's not instantaneous. What you're probably seeing is it takes a while to educate your customers. Um, yes. I know, you, I know you guys have got some builders that you're working with on a regular basis. Um, and you've kind of got to train those folks. Um, what I've seen with, with shops is putting the effort into training customers that you deal with regularly, like builders, kitchen and bath dealers, production builders, big box stores, folks like that, that are repeat customers, putting the effort into training those folks is really valuable. And if you're doing a lot of retail, uh, then the retail side, uh, what we've done in the past is gone in and spent a lot of time training retail customers about, you know, what's the countertop process like? You know, why is it important to do that? Um, and why is it important to make sure that checklist that you're talking about, all those things get put together? Uh, and it's, uh, it takes some work, but it's certainly worth it. And the shop that, that uh, my wife and I ran for a few years, uh, she ran sales. I, I ran everything else except for accounting. Um, one of the things that we did is we took a lot of time to train our salespeople. We actually had sales folks go work in the shop for a few days, put on rubber boots, put on their grubby clothes, put an apron on, get out there and wouldn't let them touch a lot of stone for obvious reasons, but we wanted them to get out and understand some of the challenges that, that not having your cooktop information and not having your sink information causes when you start trying to, to fabricate that top. We'd have those sales folks go out and ride with templaters. We'd have them ride with installers. And if we ever hired a new salesperson, they'd have about a week of orientation that would, they do all that type of stuff in addition to the normal sales orientation. So the short answer is it's not a quick fix, but it is something that takes some effort and takes some structure, but it's certainly worth doing. And there's a huge benefit from that. Are you, have you guys been doing some of that, Andy? Or have you? Yeah, we have. I mean, we've started, we've started. It's just, um, now I equate it to a culture change or it is part of the culture change. And like you said, that takes some time training our salespeople. Our salespeople were, were much more receptive than I anticipated they would be. You know, having to train or retrain some builders, it's just especially frustrating right now because we're not able to keep our constraint full. And like you said, your client earlier, our demand is booming, absolutely booming but I'm not getting it through the shop, I think, because of this very reason. Are you guys seeing, uh, I mean, the guy that I was talking about that I had met with uh, earlier this week or, or last week, his, one of his big reasons, even though business was booming, that he couldn't get February filled was a lot of his clients couldn't get appliances. Are you guys running into that? We have uh, some of that. Not a lot, but, but some of that. Okay. Yeah, that was the big thing for him. So his challenge was going out and finding jobs he could drop into the schedule right now where that wasn't an issue. And that's, that's, a, that's a tougher problem to solve. And there's some ways to attack it, but it's, it's certainly a, a challenge. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's an education issue. Uh, and what we found in training retail customers and in training builders was it was, a, it was more of an of attitude of, you know, help us help you. You want that kitchen finished on time. If you're doing a remodel, you know, Ms. Homeowner, you don't want your, your kitchen torn up any longer than you absolutely have to. 
in order for us to help you make that happen, this is what we really have to have. And here's why. Uh, if you stop and think about it, people have more jobs in their lifetime probably than they buy countertops unless they're house flippers on the side. People buy more cars than they buy countertops. They buy more houses than they buy countertops. And, and there's a lot of information out there on what these processors are like, you know, how to get good jobs, how to get the best deal on a car, et cetera. There's, there's not quite as much, I don't think, out there for countertops. And this was in the days, you know, when we ran a shop, it was in the days before video was really hot and you had as much bandwidth online. Uh, we actually put together a booklet and would spend time walking customers through that booklet to help them understand what the process was like, to help them understand why it was important to get that information, because that checklist is critical. So, yeah, that's that's a challenge in all of this. It's not part of the inventory aspect, but, yeah, it certainly impacts how well you can implement all these six steps. So good question. Thank you, Andy. Any other questions? All right. Well, we'll move on to the ones that I've got prepared that have come up from uh, previous discussions and, and from the article. And as we walk through those, if you guys need any clarifications, uh, please stop me. Okay. One of the questions that pops up is, why does low work in process make you more susceptible to process variation? And, and part of the reason I show this one, even though I've kind of addressed some of this, is that some folks think that having low work in process inventory, fewer jobs between template and install, they think that actually causes variation, and it doesn't. If you think of it kind of like a, a, a pond that's got a bunch of stumps in the bottom, if you've got the water level high, you don't see those stumps. Uh, and if you think of the water level as the number of jobs in your shop, then all the variation, which is the stumps, uh, aren't visible. But as you drop that water level down, then the stumps become visible. So as the inventory level, the work and process level goes down, that variation starts to show up. So it doesn't really cause the variation, but it does expose it and expose where the issues are. And certainly it's, it's worth working on reducing that variation, but the key is to make sure you're, you're protecting the output of the plant by having uh, inventory strategically positioned. And some of our later questions will get into what that means. If you think about it, if you've got you know three A-frames or three A-frame parts sitting between your robo saw and your CNC, then if the saw stops to change a blade or something for an hour or two or whatever it takes, your CNC can keep running because you've got work in process inventory. Whereas if you only had one cart or, or you were halfway through that cart and the saw stopped for a while, then the CNC could run out of work. And that's where you need to manage that impact and make sure it doesn't impact the output of the shop because the goal is not necessarily to keep every machine busy all the time. The goal is to make sure you're getting the most productivity out of your entire shop. And the best way to control that is by setting up the constraint and buffering it and going through the rest of these steps. So that's, that's where that comes from. And, and that's why the low work in process doesn't cause a variation it just exposes it. And so a lot of folks say, well, you know, if it cause, if that variation causes so much trouble, shouldn't we try to eliminate it, you know, or, or why can't we eliminate it? And, and you should work on it. There's no question about that. The thing is, don't make it job one, because as I said before, it's really easy to get into a point of diminishing returns where you're putting a lot of time and effort into it. And I've been a process improvement person in manufacturing where that was my job was to go in and tackle things like that. And so I've seen this firsthand and, and it gets to be really expensive. It can add a lot of overhead to your shop 
And the benefit you get is not much. Doing the kinds of things we talk about in this six-step process are a lot easier. They don't add a lot of overhead, and they have a, a side benefit of reducing a lot of the noise and chaos in the business. Uh, and I think this is really key to making sure that, number one, you're making more money because you're getting more product through the shop. And number two, your life gets a lot better. Uh, and, and whether you're the manager of the shop or whether you're the owner of the shop, uh, and, you know, working on variation is helpful and you don't want to ignore it, just like uh, cost control. You don't want to ignore cost control. But if you obsess on either one or both of those, you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. That's what we're trying to get folks to do is to focus on a, a different way of doing things. Some folks wonder, you know, why doesn't this process variation kind of average out across the plant? And the reality is, is what happens is you end up with a whip effect. Because if you think about you know, a machine stops off or a machine runs slow, then the job that's impacted by that or any jobs that are waiting on that machine to get back up and running, they've lost time. And so that time can't be caught up because uh, unless you want to run a lot of overtime, um, it's going to automatically start the next process step later because it was either slower in the previous process step or that, again, that saw, you know, robo saw was down for a blade change, something like that. Um, and so what happens is this causes a whip effect. And you see that in terms of, of your output. If you're not doing the things that we're talking about, you're seeing that in the difficulty in trying to predict your install dates. And that's exactly why is all this variation causes a whip effect, makes it very, very difficult to predict when is a job going to be done. Uh, and, and that's why we're trying to put together, that's what this system does is it puts together a way to, to give you that predictability and control. Um, so, and, and do that without having to just, you know, crush a lot of overtime or having to muscle things through all the time, uh, because that's not cost effective. And that again, creates a lot of chaos. So the process, the variation in your processes does not average out across the plant, it creates a whip effect. Does that clear up that issue for anybody? Did anybody have that question? And did I answer that well for you? Apparently so. Okay. So there's a, a few more questions here. And what I'm going to do is take all these together because they kind of get into how you manage this buffer we're talking about, this this structured strategic inventory. How do you, how do, you do that well? And one of the questions is, in the, in the article, I talked about a half a day or a day of inventory in front of the constraint. And some folks will say, look, mine needs to be larger. I, you know, I've got too much variation. I think a, a day or a half a day is too small, you know. Um, and folks say, well, how can I manage the buffer? How do I know if I'm doing it well? And, and how does all this help me make more money? Uh, and so those are all really good questions. And what I want to do, I've got a, a quick diagram I've put together that will kind of walk us through um, how this works and, and hopefully clear up and, and answer some of those questions. What I'm going to do for this example is we're going to assume that our constraint here is installed. It's the most common location in the in this business for a constraint. Uh, it's not the only place you can put it, but let's use that just for this example. Let's also assume that our lead time is five days. It's a template Monday install Friday scenario. Okay, so there's our timeline. And then we've got you know, this, if you think of this red line, this red bar is like a pipe. We're looking at the side of a pipe and that's our capacity. This is a, a six inch PVC pipe, something like that. And then we've got our constraint on the end and it has less capacity than the rest of the plant. It's our capacity constraint, all right? Because we've done the things to free up capacity. We're not reducing the capacity of the entire plant our constraint is at install. And so this is how it shows up, how it looks. 
and we get into how this is really structured in the real world, this, this buffer is not a necessarily a pile of inventory right in front of the constraint. It's more structured than that. So what we've got is a green zone that in this case would be template, CAD, and saw. And it shows a, a two-day, this buffer is sized in time units, not necessarily in kitchen units or square foot units. It's time because we're looking at how much time is sitting in front of the constraint, how much time is in the plant between template and install. And in this case, we're assuming that we've got some digital templating and that we're emailing that information back to the shop. We can email photographs back to the shop. And so the CAD guys can start doing their work, you know, during Monday and saw can get started sometimes as early as Monday, but certainly can wrap up by the end of Tuesday all the templates that were done on Monday because of this scenario. Now, if you don't have that, you might need an extra day here. You know, that's, that's part of the, the, the flexibility the system has to, to adapt to your unique capabilities, your unique requirements. So we're showing that the green zone of this buffer is the first two days and covers template CAD and your, your sawing or water jetting operation. We add to that a yellow zone. And in this case, that's Wednesday and part of Thursday that covers CNC and finish polish. And what you see is there's a red zone that sits right in front of the constraint. And the way you would manage this buffer is that you'd have a rule something like, and I'm showing the red zone being part of Thursday. It can be, a, that would be a half a day. If you had a full day, then then that red zone would, would go all the way back into Thursday. And this might be a six day lead time instead of a five day lead time. That's That's your choice. But the way you'd manage this is you'd have a rule, something like, okay, for all installs that are going to be for tomorrow, that all those jobs have to be in my red zone. And the red zone would physically be, let's say we've got three install crews and they typically do two, two kitchens a day, just to, to give us an example. That red zone would actually be six rectangles. Each rectangle is for an A-frame. Each A-frame is for a kitchen. Six rectangles painted in red on a spot on the shop floor that well defined so that you know where they go you know where they're supposed to be they're assigned to the install crews so each crew knows which is theirs there's no question about that and the rule would be for a say a half day red zone that for all installs that are going out today's friday so let's talk about monday all of monday's installs have to be on those a-frames in that red zone fully complete, fully inspected and signed off on all sinks, all cooktop templates. If you've got that, all paperwork, all splashes, faucets, if they bought the sinks and faucets from you, all of that would be on those A-frames, a hundred percent ready to go by noon today. That would be say a half day red zone for all your installs for the next day, which in today's case would be Monday. And so the way you would manage that is you would lunchtime today, you'd be out there walking through your plant and you'd go right to the red zone. That's job one is go check the red zone. And if you've got, you look at those jobs and you see an edge profile, that's not quite right. The old spot on the edge, you know, for an OG edge or something, or you see a crack and a splash or, or anything else, it's not quite right. Then that's job one. That's like a five alarm fire. Because if you don't get that fixed today, then that job before that A-frame goes on, on that truck for install whether you load up tonight or whether you load up first thing Monday morning, you don't get that fixed today. 
then then you've got a whole lot of work to do to try to keep that install date. You've got to, to fix stuff Monday morning at the last minute, come in early and do it, load it on your truck and carry it out to the site, you know, because the guys out there installing the rest of the job or whatever. You know what all those scenarios look like. The idea is that you've got an early warning system that says, hey, I got a problem. If I don't fix it right now, that installs at risk or I'm going to have to spend a whole lot more money to get it right. So you got a bit of an early warning system there. And so what you would do is you check it midday today, you'd look for those six jobs on those six A-frames complete, ready to go, signed off on. And if you were missing one or if there was a problem with one, we would call that a hole in the red zone. You've got six spots. And if one of those spots isn't 100% ready, it's like one of those spots is empty. It doesn't matter. So that's a hole in the red zone. You can also have fat. You can have too many out there. That's a different issue. Uh, it's indicative of other things that are going on, and we can talk about that later. But what you want to do is focus on, do we have a hole in the red zone? If the red zone is good, then you want to go and look at the yellow zone. And we've gone so far as to, to put up four by eight sheets of plywood and color coat them and put hooks to hang jobs or go paint lines on a shop floor, or, you know, whatever you need to do to make this more visible and get everybody focused on, on their role in this system. But you go look and say, okay, the jobs that are due to install on Tuesday, are they in CNC and finish polish? And then, you know, work your way back. First, do you have any holes in the yellow zone? Do you have any holes in the green zone? You know, a hole in the yellow zone isn't important, isn't as important as a hole in the red zone, but it's still pretty important because, again, that's part of your early warning system that says, hey, if I don't get this fixed, it could create a problem here in the red zone. And then your green zone, of course, isn't as important as the yellow or the red, but it's part of your early warning system that says, hey, if I'm kind of getting behind on my saw and it's it's a few days ahead of when that job's ready to go. I, I need to pay attention to that because if I don't do that now, if I ignore it at some point, it could start to bite me right here. You know, and, and how you size these and, and, and how many days you have in each and which process steps are in each, that's all flexible. This is just an example to kind of give you an idea of how you do this and how you manage it and how you structure it and how you set it up. Visual controls are really helpful. Helps your folks on the shop floor understand their role in this. Like trying to manage that checklist that Andy was talking about. This isn't a light switch that you turn on. It, it takes some time to get folks up to speed and get them understanding their roles in this and, and how they help make this work. Folks at the saw need to understand, you know, how what they do impacts this red zone. Uh, and there's some really good tools and techniques that come about in uh, in the sixth article for how you manage this whole system. They're really good about, you know, helping folks understand their roles so that you get everybody really focused on where you ring the cash register, which is going to be, in this case, it's going to be, at in, it's always at install as far as ringing the cash register. Uh, your constraint may be install or it may be finished polish. Uh, it gets folks focused really well and helps drive a lot of the chaos down the plant. It allows you to have this lower inventory that helps you have that short lead time. Going back to that Lean Six Sigma concept we talked about earlier. And this is how you get that short fixed lead time and how you can start to guarantee install dates for your customers. It takes a while, as we talked about earlier, to get there. It, it's not overnight, but if you can figure out, if you're going out there, if you've got this and you're starting to use this as part of your marketing, use this as part of your sales pitch, it certainly gives you a really strong competitive advantage out in the market. So hopefully what that's done is is answered the questions that were that were there earlier about, you know, how do we manage the buffer? How does it make me more money? Um, when you've driven, when you freed up capacity in these other operations and driven your capacity constraint here, you're getting more product out the door and you're getting it out consistently. 
And this structure of the buffer is how you make sure that continues. That's a really essential element to making this work. I know that's a lot for a 10-minute discussion. <laughs> any, any questions about that? Because I threw a lot at you there in a short period of time. Any questions you've got in general? You know, Andy had a good one about the checklist um, uh, before scheduling uh, that, that impacts that. Uh, any questions on the bottleneck article? Any questions on this article? Any of you who may have already read the February article? Any, any questions on that that you want to bring up? The February article, uh, which came out last week in the Slippery Rock Gazette, uh, talks about the tools that are needed to drive the bottleneck to the constraints. Uh, they're really important. Um, and then the article in March helps, challenges you to answer the question, how much profit do you have scheduled for next Thursday? So that's hopefully provocative enough to get you thinking about that and maybe read the article. Again, the focus of this is to, is to give folks the tools and techniques that they need to free up capacity that you're already paying for, shorten your lead times, and get that predictability and control that allows you at this point of the month to determine, is, is February going to be a good month or not? And if it's not, to take actions to make it a better month than it would have been. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.